Coming up on In the Weeds with me, Jimmy Young. This week, I talk with Dr. Dave Allen, a retired cardiovascular surgeon from Mississippi whose cannabis story is compelling, his passion for injustice infectious on In the Weeds next. Pro Cannabis Media original content is supported by Salient Systems, your trusted name in video surveillance for the cannabis industry. And by Revolutionary Clinics, Massachusetts' number one medical dispensary where the patient comes first. And by Accounting Buds, getting your cannabis finances in the right order. And by Artery Pay, they demystify and modernize digital payments for cannabis. And by YourStory.com, award-winning storage solution for the discriminating cannabis consumer. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, a regular podcast here on Pro Cannabis Media. And usually we look for a story that's happening in the world and find someone who might have some insight on it, some inside story, if you will. And we certainly have found that in this particular episode with Dr. Dave Allen. He is from Mississippi, but has a lot of experience in the cannabis advocacy movement. Most importantly, he's a retired heart surgeon, and he joins us now. Now, Dave, let me ask you a quick question. How is it that you are a pro-cannabis guy, and you're in Mississippi fighting the good fight down there, when it seems like the the cards are stacked against you? You've got an uphill fight down there, don't you? (laughs) It's it's troublesome down here because there's a lot of anti-pot people down here. And um, and but they think that they're more numerous than the people that that uh, know about cannabis and know about the science and promote cannabis science. And so Initiative 65, which was the medical legalization of cannabis in Mississippi, was voted in a supermajority, 74 percent voted for it. And they tried a bunch of tricks to try to to dissuade people from voting for it, too. So the the majority of people in Mississippi are in agreement that cannabis is medicine and uh, made it so by legal Democratic vote. But the Supreme Court of Mississippi has overturned that. So the will of the people is not being heard in Mississippi. And I'm guessing that this really pissed you off, Dave. Well, it, it, it's, uh, it's not my plant. It's God's plant. Okay. And so God is going to make this happen one way or not, because this is the truth. And no matter how hard they try to hide the truth, the truth will raise its head. And, and cannabis prohibition is going down. It, it, it's, gonna, it's still fighting. And we're fighting a good fight. And, um, and it's God's plant. So I'm not that upset because the devil's involved in this. Okay. Okay. But let's, let's stick with some of the facts for sure. And we sure. And while I accept that it is indeed that God put it on this earth for a reason, uh, and it is a medicine. And one of the stats that I'd love to throw out, one of the things that I've learned over the years uh, by interviewing people like yourself and other cannabis advocates is that in the 1920s, U.S. medical doctors wrote 
5 million prescriptions for cannabis as a medicine. And people don't recognize that. They only know right. from the Prohibition Act from 37 on. But it was accepted by, by people who went to the Harvard Medical Schools of the, that day and the Yale Medical Schools and the New York Medical Schools of that day. But here we are in the 21st century and we haven't learned any lessons from the past. It really bothers me. Let's go back to your expertise. You say you are an expert on the endocannabinoid system, which is the system in all mammals that this plant interacts with. How did you get involved with the expertise in the endocannabinoid system? Um, well, I've been smoking cannabis since I was 17 years old. Um, okay. And so I knew about it. But after I became a heart, see, I had, I was, I'm double boarded. I'm boarded in general surgery and boarded in cardiovascular surgery. Yeah. When I became a heart surgeon, uh, I noticed that there was a U.S. patent, cannabinoids as antioxidants and neuroprotectants, uh, uh, U.S. patent number 6,630,507, that says that uh, if you give a rat CBD, and ligate his middle cerebral artery, that the strokes are 50% smaller if they've received CBD. And the U.S. patent states that the mechanism of action is preventing reperfusion injury. And I happen to be an expert in reperfusion injury because that's how you protect the heart when you're doing bypass surgery. So I knew when the patent came out in 2003, that uh, immediately there, there should be study, human studies to either prove or disprove this phenomena. I mean, 50% reduction in a stroke is like a miracle. Your doctor can't give you anything that decreases the size of a stroke by 2%. So, so this is a, a mirror and, and you can't lie and get a patent number. So but this is the truth. Right. Uh, but if you're the government, you can have a patent and not tell anybody why you have the patent. Uh, and that, that's one of the issues I, I, I get. Um, but let's get back to the endocannabinoid system specifically. And this is still kind of a new phenomenon. And people who are out there fighting the fight in the trenches of the legal wars and the political wars that are out there um, talk about this all the time. And, and I don't think I, I, I'm interested to hear your opinion on how many people do you think if you walked up to 100 people in America and let's make it a, a wide variety of Americans, OK, all over the country. How many of those hundred do you think will actually understand what the endocannabinoid system is and how it works? Oh, Jimmy, and I'm I'm so glad you asked that question, because about eight years ago, my office and myself called 157 medical schools in the United States. Yeah. And we asked the curriculum directors if they had a, a division of uh, the endocannabinoid signaling system with a director, if they taught it as an organized course, or if they taught it even as any ancillary mention of it in, um, in, in pathology or, or any other science. And the answer was only 13% even mention it. Nobody has organized courses on it. So the doctors that are graduating medical school are unaware of this science. That, that's starting to change now because I see undergraduate courses on, and 
um, courses of study uh, that now are starting to legitimize cannabis and recognizing that this plant is here to stay and it's earning more and more respect from the medicinal community. Do you think that if you took that same poll today, you would get more than 13%? I think you would, yes. I, I sent copies of this article that I wrote about it to all the medical schools, <clears throat> and I'm sure they're quite embarrassed by it. It's, uh, you can look it up in Cannabis Digest. It's called Ignorance is Not Bliss <laughs> no, in it's Cannabis not. Digest. <laughs> okay. That's a good one. I like that. Um, you also have a personal story that's pretty compelling. And, you know, one of the things we do here in Pro Cannabis Media, it was we give the opportunity to people to tell their own cannabis stories. It's something we're asking and soliciting the public for their cannabis stories. And of course, we're going to be giving away t-shirts and we have this great gift at the end of each month um, that we will be sharing and giving out to someone we think has a great cannabis story, invite them on our show and also give them this really cool uh, storage unit. I'm going to hold it up because, you know, it, it's very sleek, it's childproof, it's smell proof, and it has awesome design to it too. This is just one of the things. So anybody who tells us a really good story and becomes a finalist and gets this, you got an opportunity to do that. That being said, you're not going to win a prize here, <laughs> Dr. Dave Allen, but I am going to ask you to tell us your personal cannabis story. You've already shared the fact that you use this from age 17, which by the way is three years after when I started in 1971 at 14. Okay. But that being said, tell us your cannabis story, sir. Well, um, I was a heart surgeon and I ended up quitting my practice. And so I decided I, I wanted to study something that was going to um, be a, a new avenue of research for me. And so I started reading about the endocannabinoid signaling system. And um, I, uh, went to, I went to California and I started doing practice uh given cannabis recommendations. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was there, my, I, I left my property here in Mississippi. It's a 48 acre lake estate. And my sister was staying here and her husband. And um, there was a raid here on February 20th, no, February 19th of 2009. And um, I happened to call in to the, uh, my house. Cause I was, I was traveling from, uh, from Mississippi to California. And when I got to California, I called in and the narcotics officer answered the phone and he said he was doing a narcotics raid here at the house. And, um, was there a uh, reason Did they have a warrant for this or did they just show yeah, up and say they had a warrant, but the warrant, it, it was, a. uh, the warrant said an anonymous person called and said that a friend of theirs saw a, uh, an illegal act here, a grow or something, and they based it on that. Okay. Um, so at any rate, um, I spent 14 months in prison pre-trial, and I was uh, saved by jury nullification. Uh, it was 11 to 1 and 7 to 5 on the two uh, felonies, the, the judge threw out four other felonies. So I had six felonies total. 
and the two that actually went to, to uh, jury was uh, uh, so the, the judge ruled it was a um, he, he couldn't, you know, he, he had to let me go. And so I was on, um, I had, they put me on bail again. And then later on decided that they weren't going to prosecute me because the police placed false photographs of marijuana grows in uh, the local WLOX newspaper. And so the police admitted on, on the stand that they fabricated evidence and gave it to WLOX. And to so what, point, what, what do you think motivated the law enforcement people to do this, which is basically an illegal act? That's uh, it's just crazy to me that they do this. I have a, a lake estate that's about five miles uh, from the city and it's it has water on it. It's real valuable. And whenever you have property, it actually makes you a target in the United States. Hmm. So the, the sheriff had wanted to seize his property and I got other stories. The sheriff and I uh, flew over the property in his helicopter one time. Um, and uh, so but the, the sheriff was doing a lot of illegal stuff um, and uh, tar was targeting people. And, and see, they're poor down here, so they target people that live here. What threat to public safety if you were growing plants or if there were a lot of plants? And you told me before we started to talk, we're talking about a few grams and, and some hash, right? It was, right. if anything, it was personal use, right? But they found no plants and I was in California. Right. So they charged me with possession, although I was, wasn't even in the state. And you weren't possessing it anyway. So you weren't there. Right. You weren't there. Right. right. Exactly. And now I'm guessing it, finally did get dismissed and thrown out of court after all that? Um, about nine months later, they dropped all the charges and uh, gave me my property back. The, the police had it seized for three years. Uh, it was a total uh, wreck when I got it back. Uh, a lot of things were stolen. The windows were broken out. The rain came in and ruined the floor. And, you know, animals were living in here. Did you bring suit against the sheriff and that department by any chance? Well, that's another sad story. Okay. I hired this guy that, that defended me um, to sue the city and he su sued the, the county and the, uh, the sheriffs uh, for $551 million. And then uh, decided he didn't want any part of it and, and just quit answering the court and so the court threw it out um with prejudice and i wasn't even told about it i read about it in the paper Oof. wow crazy and meanwhile this is the same state where the only legal university of mississippi is allowed to do research in that state of mississippi the voters voted in a medical marijuana uh, law in November of last year, 2020, and now the Supreme Court gets involved. So you've got the courts and law enforcement basically doing everything they can to not allow anyone to have access to the medicine that is cannabis. That's where we're at now, correct? Well, it's even more than that. It's, a, uh, it's an attack on the initiative process. So a system that's completely controlled by fascist government, by money, 
is uncontrolled by is uncontrolled by the citizenry. And the only way the citizens have the ability to adjust laws that govern the citizens is through the initiative process, which is part of the Constitution. So in my view, once the people vote for Initiative 65 and the vote becomes known, 74 percent, that means it becomes law at that instant. And the court doesn't have jurisdiction over changing law. They can... They can um, they can read the law. They can they can interpret the law, but they can't change the law, and they can't make law that's retroactive to the time of their decision. So they can't make a decision today that has effect on something that happened yesterday, and, and make it. So they can't say that the vote was illegal. And they use some real crazy, flimsy excuses. Um, these, these, uh, lawyers use, um, they change the language, they're wordsmiths and they change reality by the way they present their argument. And so their argument was that there used to be five congressional districts and that you had to have 20% of signatures from each of these congressional districts. Mm -hmm. And then if you, if you got that 20%, then the secretary of state would say, all right, well, it looks like you got 20% from all the districts and you got enough signatures total. So I'm going to prove the initiative for the vote. And the reason they did that was so that, that the populated cities in the South wouldn't uh, bully politically, the, the, the uh, countryside people. So that's the reason why they put that. But since they changed the congressional districts from four or five to four, you can't. And there's another rule that they quit counting after 20 percent. So there's more than 20 percent counted. Uh, and so this is this is they can't prove that there wasn't more than 20 percent counted. So I think, first off, that the Supreme Court doesn't have jurisdiction um, over changing the law that the people vote for. And that is a constitutional right that the right people have a right to. To. Do, do initiative. initiatives, yeah. Do initiatives right. so that they can change law that governs the people. Sounds like it's democracy is what they have the right to do, right? That's the last time I checked, anyway, right? It's an attack on democracy. I agree. Yeah. Um, so, what's the next step? I was reading a little bit more about this case, and it sounds like now the only way to implement the will of the people is to go through the state legislators. Now, now. Are they aware of the fact that 74% of the populace wanted this medical marijuana program to start in Mississippi? They're aware, but they don't care because they're doing what they want. Yeah. And so this is, I think this is a, first off, the legislature uh, has malfeasance in this issue because it's been 20 years since they've had uh, five congressional districts. They've had 20 years to change this. And so it's malfeasance that they didn't change it the percentage, all they have to do is say 25% instead of 20. 
and they could have done that for the last 20 years. So that's not, it's, it's deliberately ignoring this issue as a way to torpedo the initiative process, which was constitutionally ours. So it's malfeasance on their part for not changing this thing to, to begin with, to, to create this. And uh, the, the state, the Supreme court doesn't have jurisdiction over the people. That's, that's my issue with this. Right. And yet they did. They, they decided that they would say we have uh, jurisdiction over the people because they changed what the people voted for in, in, in an election. I, it's, it boggles the mind, by the way, that media, and I mean traditional media, have not jumped on this and, and, turned, and showed that this, there's something wrong in the system here. I'm completely in agreement with that. Why hasn't mainstream media, you're the only person that I know of that's even addressing this situation, and I thank you for that. This is a, an attack on the constitutional rights of the people to adjust the law that governs them. And that goes to the heart of democracy. I mean, this is what's so amazing to me, that the plant, and I'm going back to what we said at the very first part of this interview, that God put on this earth to help people to help all mammals because of the endocannabinoid system that is in all mammals it's here to help and we're doing everything we can to avoid that and learn more and is there any hope at all because now it does look like that we're moving towards some kind of a softening at the federal level and i do not believe that we will see legalization at any time i do hope that they will at least decriminalize it at the federal level which will open up the banks treat the cannabis industry like every other industry and allow them to write off their business expenses that would be the 280e clause i'd like to see the damn thing descheduled off schedule one because the government itself had that patent recognizing that there were <laughs> medical yeah, uses of this plant, right? I mean, that was the whole point of Schedule 1. So, The um, most important issue in this whole thing is Schedule 1 says right. that it's that's not, not safe under doctor supervision and no current medical utility for cannabis. So the most critical issue in this is to allow doctors to study cannabis, and people don't even know that, that that's a problem. But... Right. Doctors don't have Schedule 1 license. They have a Schedule 2 through 5. And so Schedule 1, they can't study it. And so I want a doctor to be able to, with informed consent, uh, treat a patient with cannabis for things that are currently not used. Um, just for instance, this is a really big issue. Burn wounds can be are currently treated with uh, silver sulfidine, which is a cream like Noxema that wipes off and it's messy and it doesn't stick to the wound. But cannabis oil is viscous and sticks to skin just like a candy coating which sticks to ice cream. And so you could put cannabis oil on a burn wound and take photographs out of it for two months or so and either prove or disprove efficacy because the truth is cannabis oil is a new classification of antibiotic and that's the reason is because antibiotics are classified by their mechanism of action and cannabis kills bacteria by mechanisms of action unrelated to all the other 
mechanisms or actions of antibiotics. So that me, the, the epiphany is that cannabis oil is a new classification of antibiotic and probably uh, antiviral. So I wrote an article about six years ago about CBD and the treatment of Ebola. Governor Gary Johnson picked it up and set it on the news. You can look it up on YouTube. And the pot haters hated it. The pot lovers loved it. And my article was reprinted in seven languages because the science says that CBD inhibits cytokine storm, septic shock, septic shock and disseminated intravascular coagulation or DIC. And so what people don't know that when COVID kills you, it, it's not the virus that kills you. It's your hyperimmune function that over overreacts and it releases this cytokine storm. And that's what kills you causes blood clots in all your, your organs and that causes the death of you. And cannabis oil uh, softens that response and is showing there's many people studying this currently. Right. And so hemp may be a really super important antiviral during viral pandemics. Right. And yet we still have to fight. We being the cannabis community still has to fight for the respect to just get this on ballot questions and get it into legislators to change the laws because it's obvious to anybody who looks at the science and the research that's out there that there's some pretty good things that can be used for and, and can enhance people's lives, not just, um, you know, and, and wait, I want to go back to one thing you said about the medical community for a second. Isn't it true that the substance abuse community in the United States has studied this plant over 30,000 times looking for reasons for it to be uh, addictive or, or dependent in some capacity that affects you negatively. And they, they haven't really been able to find it. And yet, right. and yet cannabis researchers who are looking for the good parts of this plant um, can't research it because the government won't let them. Although it does look like that is moving not as fast as we'd like, obviously, but at least it's moving in the right direction now. Um, I believe even in the last week or two, they've actually softened up some of the regulations and right. you will be able to research uh, at the state level, the at least the quality of cannabis that's being uh, uh, now legalized in, in various states. Is, isn't that accurate? We're way behind in the research of this because of the law here. Other right. laws in other, in other countries uh, allow research in this. And so the government's embarrassed and, and is relinquishing control on this because once we prove in the United States that cannabis has medical efficacy, then schedule one goes away. Well, I, I wish it was, I, I think there's more and more proof for that. Um, I also recognize that uh, I wish it was as simple as that. How's that? Cause I think the facts are there. I think there's now enough research right. there, but the people that are in charge of our government, our elected officials, for whatever reasons, still are resisting that there's anything good that can come from this plant. And that, to me, uh, really bothers me in so many, so many ways. Why did you say uh, before we started, you don't think legalization would be a good thing in this country? Well, 
I don't think we have legalization in the country. I think we have semi-legalization. And what's happening is, uh, like in California, since it's semi-legal there, that means the police are not, for the most part, not involved in cannabis. Right. But but it's it's morphing. And so what's happening is, is code enforcement, who are not police and not bound by police rules, fly uh, drones over your property and they also use Google Earth mm-hmm. and then search your property. And if they see anything suspicious, then they file a, a complaint against you. It's, it's a, um, they, they charge you with abatement fines, which are $1,000 a day or more, which goes against your taxes. And then what happens is they take you to court, not in court. They take you to court in code enforcement building. They hire an attorney. They call him the code enforcement hearing officer. They have two garden police come testify against you, code enforcement officers. And you don't get a, a, a attorney to, to defend you because it's a civil matter. It's not criminal. Right. And you don't get 12 jurors. And so the, the drug war is failing because they're ha- having tr- a trouble to find 12 jurors to say guilty for a plant crime, for a right. flower crime. Right. And so, so they got to remove the juror from the equation to get the drug war to, to con- continue its, its business plan. So by changing it to code enforcement, they still can attack your property. And, and, and the truth is, if there's a limit on how much cannabis you can possess, that means you need an army of police and, and inspection officers to see if you're in compliance. Right. And a compliance officer's job mm. is to find you not in compliance. Right. Right. And it, it, it's funny, though. A lot of law enforcement really don't want to deal anymore with cannabis. That District attorneys just don't want to have anything to do with uh, certainly possession crimes. And y- y- it seems to me what you're, what I'm hearing is of course, they're still interested in those illegal grows or the, the non-compliant grows because they're not able to make taxes on that because they don't have a license to do it. Right. Well, so since I knew all of this information about code enforcement that nobody here in the state knows about, I decided that since there was an initiative process, because I helped with 65, mm-hmm. I decided, well, geez, I should write my own initiative. So I wrote Initiative 77. It's been approved by the state. You can look it up on Mississippi Secretary of State under Initiatives 77. And it, it has a couple main things about it. One thing is it allows doctors and scientists and veterinarians to study cannabis without any restrictions. And there's no limit on how much you can possess. You can grow 99 plants. And the reason we decided that was because the reason I decided that was because the federal government gets involved if you grow over 100 plants, 100 or more. And so if you grow 99, then the federal government's not involved. And so and you can take this cannabis or hemp and trade it for barter untaxed which means cannabis is money. And that's the truth of the matter. People won't admit this. Cannabis is money. And, and if you sell it for cash, then there's a 7% tax that would go to the state. 
And uh, uh, my initiative has uh, POW reparations. If you were in prison for cannabis, there'll be a, a compassionate program for people with catastrophic illnesses. They get free cannabis oil. If you have a catastrophic illness, there'll be a, a panel of eight doctors and veterinarians that of different of different specialties that have to be members of the the International Cannabinoid Research Society, the ICRS. Everybody involved in the cannabis business will have to pass minimum knowledge of the endocannabinoid signaling system, and uh, and they will be able to write uh, patents, U.S. Uh, patents for for Mississippi, <coughs> and so. And there will be a cannabis exchange. So what you do is if you, if you, any that you grow that you don't need, you send it to the cannabis exchange, they test it, they market it as they can. They give you, uh, they charge 1% for the, doing the business. They uh, write you a check and they write the, the government a check for 7% tax. And so, um, this, it took me about six months to write this initiative. It's really well thought out. And even if it fails here in Mississippi, this is the truth. This is, this is what's going to happen in the future. And somebody else in some other state will pick this idea up that I started because this is the truth. So there should be no limit on how much you can own or possess. And you should, have if you need to grow 101 plants then you just get a license right i get you well it, it, the truth is tough to handle for a lot of people and i'm guessing that you've got your work cut out for you down there in mississippi uh to say the least um what's the next step for you guys lots of phone calls to the elected officials in the state well there's a, a uh rally at the supreme court tomorrow in jackson um and i'm going to try to go that go to that and, and wear my white lab coat and see if I can get media attention on this. I, I want national media to pick this up. Well, I'd like, to, I'd like national media to pick it up too. I'm not very confident in that. That being said, <laughs> that being said, I do think that I hope the local media would, should give you an opportunity to tell your story. And I wish I knew someone in television or radio down in Mississippi, but I'll be perfectly honest, you may be the first person I've ever talked to in Mississippi. And that's my own Yankee <laughs> bias, I guess. And I apologize for mm. that. But um, I do appreciate you taking some time, Dave. And, and you know, I remember when you first reached out to us and we were both very compelled. I say both, that'd be my partner, David uh, Rabinovitz, who co-hosts the Green Rush Show on Fridays with me. We were both intrigued with your story. Um, and we want to wish you the best of luck with that. And again, well, thank you. you you do have an open forum here. Anytime that you think you need a voice or to put your voice on recording, uh, we'll be happy to do that for you so that you could share it with your world. Just don't forget that pro cannabis media wants to tell these stories because I don't believe they're being told by traditional media. Well, I would like to end this with, uh, with a statement that I've been kind of semi-famous uh, for and okay. that is the discovery of the endocannabinoid signaling system is the most significant uh, discovery in human history and will save more lives than the discovery and application of sterile surgical technique. Wow. And I'm a heart surgeon saying that. 
Yeah. And that means a lot. And I, and your passion means a lot to me. So I'm really glad we had an opportunity to talk today. And uh, how do people get to you, Dr. Dave, if they want to support your cause or find out about where you're at, how can they find you? You can join um, Initiative 77 Supporters on Facebook. My email is cali215doc at gmail.com. And um, we we need your support. Uh, I have been told by the Secretary of State that I can still collect signatures for Initiative 77, even after this ruling. So I don't know. I, I'm going to need support for Initiative 77 by people that know. And and let's say you get all those signatures. Do you bring them to the, legis the state legislature? I mean, that's the only place that they're going to be any good for you, right? Because they're the ones that right. now have to act because the Supreme Court has said uh, that that ballot thing that's just not against our state constitution. I mean, that to me is really I, I worry about this country in so many ways now. I really do. There's too many of this these kinds of things that are attacking the basis of democracy in this country. It just doesn't make sense to me. Just doesn't make sense. So. Dr. Dave Allen, again, best of luck to you with Initiative 77. For Dave, I'm Jimmy Young from Pro Cannabis Media. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to In the Weeds. Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. God bless. We are Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, I'm Ben Shower, New England rep for Salient Video Management Systems. Let me tell you what makes us different in the security space. We're your trusted advisors for all your security needs. I know how complicated the regulations are in cannabis, and working with Salient Systems will be the polar opposite of that. I give free consultations and we'll walk you through every step of the process so that you can get what you need at the price you can afford. We're robust, we're simple and scalable. We're Salient Systems, your solutions to all your security needs. Please contact me at the information below, and I'm looking forward to being your trusted advisor. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area. Now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Pro Cannabis Media Programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at Pro Canna Media, on Instagram at Pro Cannabis Media, on LinkedIn also at Pro Cannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on Pro Cannabis Media, Twitter at Pro Canna Media, and on twitch.tv backslash Pro Cannabis Media. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media.